Welcome, it is indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Ritchie, good to be with you today. Breaking down news of the day, none other than Benny Carollo. Breakdown contributor and host of Bleep Block Ben. She also live streams on Twitch, always a pleasure. Should be a fascinating analysis. Top story of the day, school teacher calls student the N word. School outraged, at least the students are, he does not get fired. I have the background, here it is. What you looking at? I'm sorry. What you looking at? What? I'm sorry. What? Oh my God. What you looking at? What? I'm sorry. What? Oh my God. What you looking at? What? I'm sorry. What? Oh my God. That teacher is that child's guide, trusted adult figure, authority inside of the institution. Talking in the spirit of a slave master, an employee at the Hempstead High School in Iowa has been placed on leave after calling a black student the N-word. He has not been fired as of yet. The video of the incident surfaced online showing the white male who works at the school staring at a student walking from a classroom. When out of the blue, the man yells, what you looking at, in word, towards the black student. The racial slur immediately caught everyone standing in the hallway off guard, including the student who was filming. The employee tries to quickly apologize to the black student, but the damage obviously has already been done. Let's put up, we see the screenshot. Now, here's an interesting dynamic. The student, the child, he's not concerned about the teacher. He's minding his business, not even looking in the direction of the instructor. The instructor is the one obviously has a problem with the student. The school employee has not been identified, but has been placed on leave while an investigation is pending. He has also not been fired, but school officials say he will be disciplined. Julia Jurgensen, who is the assistant principal, released a statement of families of children who attend the school, condemning the teacher's actions and confirming that disciplinary actions are on the way. Let me say this, it is interesting that we do believe teachers should absolutely be held to a higher standard of accountability than let's say students, right? The teacher is the professional. But if the student would have said this to the educator, the student would have been dismissed immediately. There would not be need for an additional investigation. All of the context happened in the moment of the recording. There is no justification, there is no excuse. There is no reason why they can justify doing action like this. But when it comes to teachers in particular, we've seen many school systems where powers that be will protect them at least temporarily, if not forever. We've also seen amazing teachers who have decided to become whistleblowers and be adversely impacted by the system they are governed by. 
Teachers are amazing people. My mother, a woman who adopted me, is a school teacher. She changed my life. But teachers like this guy, well, in my opinion, they make the profession look bad. And naturally, it should have been swift action. I want to be clear, the assistant principal says, I want to be clear in saying that the actions shown in this video are not acceptable and do not represent the values of Hempstead High School or the community school district. That staff member involved was immediately placed on leave while the district completes an investigation, which is always will be followed by appropriate disciplinary action. We strive every day to ensure that each of our students learns in a safe, inclusive learning environment. And today, for many, Hempstead did not live up to that expectation. I have talked personally with many students and parents today, as have members of our administrative team and staff across the building. To reinforce that we are here to support students today, and moving forward, I have been nothing short of impressed by the maturity, honesty, and emotion in those conversations. One of our Mustang values is to be inclusive, and we will continue to strive to do better each day. Robert Kimball is the founder of the Dream Center, told KCRG he was pleased with the school's decision to place the employee on leave and wanted to reassure students that they are cared about. Number one, don't forget that there are people who care about you in this community. But number two, use this as an opportunity to educate, he continued. Our school district is a great school district. It's just important that if there are still people out there who think this way and act this way, that we hold them accountable, said Kimball. I agree with Kimball. I also agree with the words of the principal. What I don't agree with is the action not being swift. It needs to be swift. Every time something like this happens, you have all of the context you need in that one video, make it swift. That action shows more about how you care for your students than the press release. You see, a lot of times institutions will spend days trying to come up with a narrative, figure out the right word, measure the moment. It could have taken you minutes to say you're fired, you're fired. There's a reality connected to this educator that we may never know. If the educator is willing to call a student the N-word and then act as if, oh, my bad, slipped out. Oh, I'm so sorry. Do you not think that bias has permeated in other areas of his discipline? Do you not think he has engaged in either aggressive or unconscious bias? Of course, it's unavoidable, especially when your racism is so deep that you cannot contain yourself around black children at your job. All right, thoughts? Yeah, I've got a couple of thoughts. First and foremost, this is gonna be a little bit of speculation, but like my guess is this probably wasn't the first time this happened. Because if you're a student, you don't just randomly film teachers in a hallway. There might have possibly been a reason why that that student was filming that particular teacher in that particular moment. That's just me speculating to be fair. But the thing is, if somebody says this once, 
They've thought it a thousand times and it most definitely has influenced his teaching at that school. There's no way that it possibly hasn't. As for the question of like, oh, investigating, what is there to investigate? Put together the investigating committee, show everybody the three second video and then case closed. I mean, quite literally, there is no detail, there's no context, there's no additional information that could possibly be found that would exonerate the teacher in this situation. Like zero, zero possible things in that regard. And that really speaks to, I think a combination of both the mindset of like everything needs to be this formalized procedure. We have to always have like, you know, these these protocols in place. When sometimes things are just cut and dry and you can just fire somebody on the spot and then dare them to say that they were fired for the wrong reason when that video literally exists. And with that, I guess I'll kind of touch on something with it in the statement, which is just I think the notion of inclusivity. And honestly, like that statement kind of made me like sour on the term inclusivity. And I think we should shift our focus away from inclusiveness and more towards empowering, right? Because do these students feel empowered by this decision? Mm. Are you actively making people feel as though they have a real say in their own safety and comfort in their learning environment? Because it's one thing for people to be included, but it's a completely different situation for people to be empowered. And I think fundamentally not firing that teacher right away is I think a perfect example of things that are very much not <laughs> empowering to the people who should be. Very well said, it is easier to get rid of a good book than a bad teacher. An indisputable exclusive. Police officers talking to each other about Cop City admitted that law enforcement engaged in an illegal raid against those who are organizing bond. They also admitted that they have been attacking and targeting protesters, citizens, those who oppose the development of this cop city in the city of Atlanta. Here's the audio. Anybody else think that that warrant that they served today and the arrest are just guaranteed shenanigans next Monday and Tuesday? Yep, actually maybe tomorrow. I think they're supposed to have their first appearance tomorrow. I'm here for all of it. Matter of fact, just do it all June. Trying to get, uh, get my backyard done. I mean, it could go the opposite way. I mean, we've been putting pressure on them and attacking them from all different angles. At some point, they, they've got to give up. I mean, especially if we're going after all the money, it, it could shut them down. Yeah, I'm just waiting. Like, couldn't they wait until like Wednesday of next week to do this? Is that when you're off? <laughs> no, that's when all this, the finance committee would have been done, would have been done by Wednesday. Ah, uh, okay. I don't know, they had to send a message. I get it, but I mean, think about it. If if they had just defeated the thing in, you know, in council, which, you know, if they're going to vote for the money and everything's going to go through, and then the coup de Gracie is, oh, right after you failed two days in a row, we serve a warrant on you. Drew, that's what they did the last round. I guess they wanted to, uh, you know, go ahead and get it over with. I guess they thought it was going on in your offensive. I have more information. I was alerted to this by some very good people in the city of Atlanta. I covered it on my radio show this morning. I'm going to give you the updated information that I currently have. Shocking, shocking audio allegedly of three Atlanta police officers out of zone four admitting law enforcement illegally targeted, raided, and criminally charged individuals 
who opposed the cop city development in Atlanta, Georgia. You don't have to believe me, the judge is coming in just a minute in Atlanta, Georgia, because they were disrupting the financing of the deal. According to one Twitter account, the alarming audio comes from Zone 4 Atlanta police officers speaking on their government issued communication devices put up that thread. Thank you for what you do. In the recording, officers can be heard discussing the raid that took place on May 31st. Follow the timeline, May 31st, 2023. I reported on it at that time last week, where three well-known and well-respected organizers were raided, arrested, and charged with multiple felonies, including financial fraud. Marlon Scott Couts, Adele McLean, and Savannah Patterson who were active board members of the Atlanta Solidarity Fund. They were charged with money laundering and charity fraud. Many have spoken out against the arrest during that time and keep their picture up. When I got news of this arrest, you see all of us in the activist community here in Atlanta, Georgia, we work to bail, to bond people out. We pay for the bail amount, we organize. NAACP, street groomers, local chapter, National Action Network, you name it. We know the Atlanta solidarity people, they're good people. And when this news came, obviously every single one of us believed that there was something else to this. I may have been one of the few to say something back then last week, but now evidence has presented itself that's congruent to the protesters and the sentiment of unfair targeting. According to an article written days ago by The Intercept, Natasha Leonard, an Intercept contributor, highlighted the incident in a detail, in detail by saying, and I quote, a heavily armed Atlanta Police Department SWAT team raided a house in Atlanta and arrested three of its residents. Their crime organizing legal support and bail funds for protesters and activists. She went on to say, who was in charge? Uh, who was charged, excuse me, in this case? Atlanta cops charged those three, once again, Marlon Scott Couts, Adele McLean and Savannah Patterson, all board members of the Atlanta Solidarity Fund. They raised money for people in jail during civil protest and they pay legal bills. They were charged with money laundering and charity fraud once again. A couple of days later, I'm giving you the background so we can get to this point. A couple of days after that, the three detained organizers were granted bond by a magistrate judge in DeKalb County. DeKalb County is where the, uh, the actual development is. It is, however, annexed by the city of Atlanta. So this is still very much so an Atlanta operation. The magistrate judge in DeKalb County who said he was very unimpressed with the state's lack of evidence. The judge also expressed concerns that freedom of speech violations from the government may be at play. In an even more ironic request, the state prosecutor asked for no bond to be granted. No bond for a non-violent charge, no bond to be granted and said that the organizers were a threat to the community. 
The judge disagreed. The organizers were given a $15,000 bond by the judge, allowing them to post bond through a bonding agency and they can get out of jail for roughly $150. You already see that the judge doesn't buy it. And the judge involved in this hearing is a seasoned judge, has worked in Fulton County and DeKalb County, has significant context for laws, well respected, and does not say things loosely from the bench. So when this judge not only denied the state's request, then decided to tell the state, I'm very unimpressed with the evidence you presented, and also highlighted the fact this looks to him like some freedom of speech violation here, talking against the government itself. There's more. As stated by the AP Associated Press, there was an article titled, Bond Granted, Bond Granted for Three Activists Whose Fund Bailed Out People Protesting Atlanta Cop City. John Fowler, Deputy Attorney General for the state of Georgia, stated that the people were detained, were a flight risk and posed a danger to the community. The recently obtained audio allegedly exposes three zone four Atlanta police officers talking in detail about their common knowledge of the raid being politically motivated and how they have been targeting Atlanta protesters who oppose the development of the planned police and fire training center dubbed Cop City. Put up the transcript. I'm going to read it all. First officer, anybody else think that the warrant that they serve today and the arrest are just guaranteed shenanigans next Monday and Tuesday? Next officer, yep, actually, maybe tomorrow. I think they're supposed to have their first appearance tomorrow. Next officer, I'm here for all of it. Matter of fact, just do it all June, trying to get my backyard done. I mean, it could go the opposite way, another officer says. I mean, we've been putting pressure on them and attacking them from all different angles. Another officer, at some point, they've got to give up. I mean, especially if we're the one after all the money, it could. Shut them down, yeah, I'm just waiting. Like, couldn't they wait until Wednesday of next week to do this? Another officer, is that when you're off? <laughs> they laugh, no, that's what all this, the finance committee, that's when all this, the finance committee would be done. They would have been done, they would have been done by Wednesday. Keep the graphic up, I just wanna remind everyone, these are cops. These are cops talking about timing and finance committees. These are political terms. These are political terms that they're referencing, not law enforcement dynamics. None of them talk about the law. Now, one of them said what these individuals did was illegal. Ah, okay, hell no, they had to send a message talking about law enforcement, law enforcement is not designed or designated or given the authority to simply send messages, they are supposed to enforce laws, uphold righteousness and respect the constitution and your rights. I get it, one cop says, but I mean, think about it. 
if if they had just defeated the thing, you know, in council, which you know, if they're effing gonna vote for the money and everything to go through, and then the coup de grace is, oh, right after you failed two days in a row, we serve a warrant on you. True. That's what they did, and this another cop saying true. That's what they did in the last go round. I guess they want to, uh, you know, go ahead and get it over with. I guess they thought they was going on the offensive. These are cops. These are police officers talking with common knowledge about the targeting of civil rights protesters. Environmentalist individuals who organize in a legal way. You do not have to like the methodology. You don't have to like it. You don't have to like what they stand for. But you cannot dismiss the principle of what they are attempting to do. Talking about the young activists, the organizers, the citizens who are in Atlanta. Now, I covered this last week. I covered it last week when it first went down, talking about the raid. I took a stand. I made a decision. And I also shared about me being appointed to the Cop City Committee by current Atlanta Mayor Andre Dickens. As I said then, I like Andre Dickens, have a lot of respect for him. He is wrong in this, in my opinion. I'm on that committee. Because there's a community part that needed connection. I made it very clear, if you don't convince mama them, you will never convince me. I think sometimes people believe that when you go into certain rooms, they may get you to change your mind. Here's what I said last week for full transparency. A few weeks ago, I was appointed to the cop city task force by the mayor of Atlanta. I like the mayor of Atlanta, I have a lot of respect for him. He's wrong on this, okay? I was appointed to that committee. I know the official name of the committee. I don't call it that because that's not what mama them called it. I will call it the Cop City Committee, all right? Given what has continued to happen, given the reality of this movement being rejected by those who live in the city, Somebody needs to rip up this damn contract, okay? Mama them in East Atlanta, where this facility is scheduled to be built. They don't want it. They don't want to hear helicopters while there's a mass shooting training. They don't want to see individuals come back and forth in militarized gear. This is not what they want for their community. Nobody posed the question to them. Nobody got their opinion first. I've also said um, when I accepted the offer that my advocacy would be one way for the community that will be adversely affected. There is no changing my mind. There is no can you look at it another way. No, unless you are able to convince the community that this is a good faith operation and that their voices are heard. 
You see, it's real simple to all of those who are elected to council. This is not difficult, all right? Know who put you there. You're going against your own base. You have a base of progressive voters that voted many of you in, believing that you were different than the corporate agenda represented by those who came before you. This is the part that defines not only your political legacy, but it defines your soul. And it will define how I respond to your political career in the very near future. Now, I want to say this to members of council. Many of you I supported in your initial election. I always appreciated your progressive stance on many items. Absolute agreement was not required with me and you know that. It was understandable that we disagreed on some things. If you do not do right by the community of East Atlanta, I guarantee you, you will not like me next year at all. Benny, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of layers to this. I mean, the first things first is really what's unique about this is the fact that we have an audio recording of police officers, which is something that is hard for people to deny. Because the truth of the matter is police officers have always targeted civil rights protesters, like quite literally throughout the entire history of the United States. (laughs) I mean, do we really need to go back to protesters in Ferguson talking about their experience being targeted by police and like the countless other protesters across the country in various cities and states that have dealt with the same problem? Except of course, they don't get believed because there's so many people in the media that see somebody with a badge and think that they're the person that should be believed no matter what. And that if you're somebody who's actually trying to fight to make the world a better place, then all of a sudden you get put under a microscope of scrutiny. And that's one of the reasons why they will throw like ridiculous charges on people too. Because then the media can say, "Oh, this is just some criminal who's doing some you know thing over here. So they clearly can't be trusted. And so there's so many layers to this. There's so many layers to this, but fundamentally, this is something that's been happening across the country. And it's so deeply infuriated because so many of the people in the media are so willing to just sit back and listen to the police without actually having any real scrutiny. And then on top of that, I would argue to say that there's a lot of city council members across this entire country that are probably afraid of police departments. Like, let's be real, they're probably genuinely afraid because if police officers are willing to actively target notable members within the community who are just trying to organize for the betterment of the community, do you really think that police officers would be above harassing people in the districts of specific city council members or even doing things indirectly to specific city council members or even harassing city council members themselves? I mean, quite literally, I remember Jeremiah Ellison during the the George Floyd protests here in Minneapolis, trying to talk to police officers as they were throwing tear gas at him and all the other protesters, right? (laughs) So let's be real. There are a lot of elected officials that are afraid of police departments across the country. And because of their cowardice and their fear when it comes to actually addressing the police themselves and actually putting in basic accountability, much less, you know, future planning that takes in the, you know, takes in mind the needs of the community. you know, it, these city these city council members by refusing to stand up basically put the community in even greater danger, and yeah. that is what is so infuriating about this. You know, criticism is the price you pay for leadership. Uh, the day you are unwilling to pay that price is the day you're unfit to lead. <clears throat> so if you're concerned about the criticism or the adverse impact of being a leader brings, don't be one. Don't be one. All right, we'll bring you updates as they come.
racist police officer, a cop, points a rifle at a worker helping a customer. Let's put up the picture for a mask. Uh, this is a small police department. We could not confirm some of the picture details, but the narrative is clear, including the response from the police department and the chief. Pressure is now mounting for officials in an Oklahoma County to resign after a local police officer was accused of pointing a rifle at a civilian and calling the man the N-word. Let's go to it, Hopworth Police Officer Jerry Neal Pollard was arrested and charged with a felony and has been suspended from the force, suspended with a felony, not fired. Witnesses confirmed that he accosted the steel supply worker with the firearm in April and yelled, run, inward, run, while the gun was pointed at him, according to KTUL. Witnesses say on April 24th, this cop pulled a rifle on a man named Bobby Young, an employee of Alford Metals. This is a steel distributor store in the same county. According to a probable cause affidavit, Mr. Young had just completed loading supplies to a different customer when Officer Pollard sped up to the business, standing near the passenger side of the vehicle. He overheard the officer quip, you got a case? Pollard then jumped out of his truck with his rifle and approached the steel supply worker. Another worker who witnessed the incident said they saw Officer Pollard who reportedly was actually off duty at the time, according to McCurtain Gazette News, Gazette News, excuse me, aggressively approached the business in his truck. I gotta think about it. this is a fair scare situation, obviously. After speeding to the front, he got out of the vehicle, retrieved his rifle, and then used a racial slur. A surveillance video reportedly verifies this account. We do not currently have access to that video, we're trying to get it. After Mr. Young did not run, Officer Pollard placed the rifle back in the truck, but the employee insisted that the man leave because he felt unsafe and informed that the police were being called. Pollard said they are already here after the comment Officer Pollard completed an order of supplies and walked away from the business. He was later arrested on May 18th and charged with a felony, a pointing gun menacing felony. The county police officer was released on a $15,000 bond the next day. He now faces up to 10 years in prison for the felony if he is in fact convicted. Let me give you the statement from the police chief. Um, Edberto Flores, as the chief of police of the town of Haworth, I feel that I need to address the current situation involving one of my officers. I was contacted by the McCurtain County Sheriff's Office on April 24, 2023, with allegations against Reserve Officer Jerry Neal Pollard. He was then placed on suspension from the police department. I was not contacted again because OSBI took the case over. The statement continues, a warrant was issued and Mr. Pollard turned himself in. 
I do not have any information about this case other than the OSBI is investigating. Again, I do not have further information regarding the case. I do state that all are innocent until proven guilty. Thank you, Chief. That's not what you say about criminals, y'all lock up. You never say that about criminals, you arrest. Oh, well, you know what? This guy I'm taking to jail today, listen, uh, media, uh, he's actually innocent until proven guilty, so let me not say anything about it. You reserve that kind of language for the you know, boys in blue. Let me tell you this, Chief. I'm convinced, sir, that you were well aware of the racism of this officer. Look at the tea leaves here. Number one, he's a reserve cop and you still didn't fire him. The reason why that's important is because whatever union you may have, your reservists do not fall under that protocol. Okay, number one. Number two, the arresting agency was the county sheriff. Likely because you guys refused to. Because according to the information, well, you know the rest. So while you can proclaim you don't know anything, and there's an investigation, you have the legal authority. As a matter of fact, you were appointed to investigate crimes. Now, you have the legal authority to investigate this incident yourself, even if you simply launched an administrative investigation for officer misconduct. You didn't even do that, sir. So forgive me if your statement doesn't pass my smell test. All right, Benny Thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I guess the good news is this person is getting charges, which is rare for police officers. So at least somebody's doing the right thing. But obviously, that individual department that he was working with was definitely not doing the right thing. Because, yeah, how on earth do you get to the point where you're running around saying things like that? You have to, there's there's always a backstory, right? There's always a backstory, there's always more detail. And, you know, if this was somebody who wasn't at work, because, like, let's be real, right? Under our system, if you're a worker and you're making profit for a company and a police officer harasses you, you are more likely to at least get support of like the company saying, hey, why are you harassing this person? They're trying to make money for me. Then if you're just a random person that's like walking around the street. And so like all of the, the circumstances align so that this police officer could actually face consequences for his actions. But I don't think there's really any question as to whether or not something like this happened before. Because we know police officers in the United States, we know how they think. And we know that this is a pattern of behavior and that this police officer really is only an exception because he's actually getting charged. There you go. All right, we'll bring you the update as they come, updates as they come, I promise you they will. We got more on the other side is indisputable, stick and stay. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish a Karen would. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a and Sunday? You're going to feel free. Back off. I'm going to tell them there's an African-American man threatening my life. The moment we found out she was a Karen. I was in Calvary. We got a Karen. We done got us a Karen. At this point, she started calling the cops. It's a 
high school graduation now. It's broad daylight. You're acting as if you can regulate who grown people have at their home. Literally, the Karen said, you, you can have company, but I mean, this is just obnoxious. Nothing says danger like um, black children graduating high school. Unbelievable, put her up full mass. Um, so according to the poster, she was calling the police um, because they were celebrating uh, graduation. We've actually seen this multiple times. Uh, we saw one cop literally uh, manhandle a student at the graduation itself and teachers argued with him. What are you doing? Maybe the cop at that time was under the direction of someone like her. All right, uh, you know, Benny, I'd look at these scenarios and obviously I participate in a lot of graduations, college graduations, high school graduations. Um, I'm the commencement speaker at a number of them. I enjoy the celebratory atmosphere, everybody knows. Uh, especially if you come from a particular community, how difficult it was to make it to that point. It is a holiday for many of us when there's someone in our family graduates from high school. And so we make every effort to celebrate that milestone in a significant way. It's a beautiful thing, it's not just another day for us. And for this woman in, in the middle of the day to call the police because of a celebration of young people making this milestone is unbelievable to me. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple different layers to it. First, this is the pinnacle of main character syndrome. Yeah. Oh, you know, some people outside of my building are celebrating something. Heaven forbid that slightly inconvenience me in some way, just hearing people. The other layer is you live in an apartment building, right? I live yeah. in an apartment building. Lots of people live in apartment buildings. And when you live in an apartment building, there's going to be noise. There's going to be noise outside That's of your right. apartment. That is a day to day thing. But this particular noise, right? Just the particular noise of people just celebrating a graduation for some reason was so grating to her that she felt the need to call the police officers, right? We know exactly what she was doing in this situation, right? This is like, we've seen countless examples of this. It's just pure racism at the end of the day. But of course, they like to couch it in just like, oh, this is just a noise complaint. It isn't, it couldn't possibly be because I'm like super racist or anything. It, it, it's just a general noise complaint because I bet she definitely calls the police like this on everybody. Yeah, seems in my opinion to be personality driven rather than anything else. I got an update. The update is about a Karen that we covered. Now we have information that the Karen has actually been charged with crimes. Let me remind you of the first video that we brought you then. Here it is. Okay, then give me your full name. Go for it, you some illegal paperwork, because I know you didn't buy this house, you don't have enough money. Get off my property, is Mike and Leslie your real estate agent? Do it, bitch.
American citizen angry at you? Let's get into it, put it up. I will give you the background, I will also give you the charges. A St. Louis woman, Judy Ann Klein, is now facing federal civil rights charges after being accused of harassing a Hispanic family, breaking into their home and claiming they were illegal immigrants. Judy Ann Klein is 54, was indicted May 10th on federal court charges with interference with the right to fair housing after authorities said she smashed a window at the home on Lisette Avenue with a hammer. Walked into the house and damaged her dryer. Klein accused the family who lived there of being illegal immigrants, charges said. Klein was initially charged in the circuit court for burglary, property damage and unlawful use of a weapon in connection for the same incident. In some of the videos, Klein made racist remarks and threatened the family. She also claimed the house was hers. Property records show the house was owned by apparent relatives of Klein about three decades ago. Police said they had submitted the case to city prosecutors shortly after January 5th, 2022 break in. There were multiple instances claimed, but it's set for more than a year in an email box for nonviolent crimes that contain thousands of cases. A spokeswoman for former St. Louis Circuit Attorney Kimberly M. Gardner blamed police for not flagging the case as urgent. But police said that label was reserved for dangerous offenders only who engage in a pattern of violent conduct. Uh, I, I want to say this, okay? Let's put the picture up again. Uh, you have a video of, at least in this moment, attempted breaking and entering, also threats. Of physical violence, racism animated from the person. That doesn't qualify as a dangerous situation. Well, well, let me do this. Um, let's imagine he's a black man. Ah, that is a dangerous situation, isn't it? You see how that works? But for some reason, the officers did not believe this was dangerous. All right. This is the issue. We are in a culture where accountability is no longer, well, a high commodity. It allows people to say, you know, racism doesn't really exist. There's just a few bad people in the world. Understand this, that Karen, yeah, in my opinion, bad person, racist individual. But the system that protected her without even trying to engage in a conspiracy to do so. It's just the way they operate. But I guarantee you, if this was a different person, their bias would work the other way. That's why it's called implicit. That's why it is called un that's why it's called unconscious bias. It is still dangerous, just as dangerous as the conscious bias is. These are the elements they are trying to get out of our educational system. They don't want students to learn the truth about the history of racism in America, nor what they can do to solve it. Remember, children are the future problem solvers of America. And if they don't know there's a problem, they'll never solve it. It is connected. All right, Benny thoughts. Yeah, I mean, really quick, just 
there's a reason why she was accusing those people of being undocumented because she knows that the system that we live in, like all of the racism that exists in society, the institutions that exist in society are very much designed in the way that that is seen as legitimate reason, right? Like unfortunately, like fundamentally we dehumanize undocumented folks so much that she figured that oh, if she just accused people of being undocumented, she could stalk and harass like their house and try and claim that it's theirs and get a lot less scrutiny from the police. And I think that just sort of speaks, I think, where we are as a society. All right, agreed. Well, this happened, Dr. Cornell West, scholar and activist, announces he's running for President of the United States. Here it is. In these bleak times, I have decided to run for truth and justice, which takes the form of running for President of the United States as a candidate for the People's Party. I enter in the quest for truth. I enter in the quest for justice, and the presidency is just one vehicle to pursue that truth and justice, what I've been trying to do all of my life. I come from a tradition where I care about you. I care about the quality of your life. I care about whether you have access to a job with a living wage, decent housing, women having control over their bodies, health care for all, the escalating, the destruction of the planet, the destruction of American democracy. Democracy creates disruption. It creates an eruption. It creates an interruption wide from below the energies of everyday people as manifest. And I know there are precious people in your life who you care for. That's why it's important for you to be involved, important for you to participate. We're not talking about hating anybody. We're talking about loving. We're talking about affirming. We're talking about empowering those who have been pushed to the margins because neither political party wants to tell the truth about Wall Street, about Ukraine, about the Pentagon, about big tech. Neo-fascists like Brother Trump or milquetoast neoliberals like Brother Biden. Wow, I'm so happy to make a world-shaking decision. You know what I mean? Well, I know gangsters when I see them. <laughs> and gangster is not a subjective expression, it's an objective condition. Do we have what it takes? We shall see. But some of us are going to go down fighting, go down swinging with style and a smile, accenting the best in you and trying to tease out the best in me. Let's do it together. Let's put him up full mask. Um, it goes without saying I have tremendous respect for the scholar, Dr. Cornell West. I'm very glad he's running to push the agenda of truth and progressive thinking. There are some challenges he will have to overcome, including that of the organization he represents. In this moment, I want to highlight what he's known for, academics and activism. That's what he is known for. Learning and doing is what he is known for. He is the former professor 
of the practice of public philosophy at Harvard University and also former professor at Princeton University has lectured all over the planet Earth. Everyone knows Dr. Cornell West. Um, we have to engage in a political reality that is disconnected from reality. It is unfortunate one political party has basically pushed the world into this massive deception of facts. But the truth is, our brother was correct. Uh, both political parties have engaged in it and they've played with it and they toyed with it. And all of a sudden, here comes Frankenstein being made alive. And we want to act as if we don't know how this happened. Well, you played with lies so long and you were dishonest so much because you felt you weren't as bad as those guys. You were just a little bad. You weren't as deceitful as the other guys. You're just a little deceitful. All of it, all of it creates the collective energy that you see today. Dr. Cornel West was correct on the energetic flow of our collective consciousness. All right, Benny, thoughts? Yeah, so I guess I have two big thoughts. First and foremost, of course, Cornel West, fantastic. Great that his name's gonna be out there. Great that he's gonna be pushing a bunch of issues. Aside from the asterisks of like all of the different issues that exist with the People's Party, right? Mm -hmm. But the other part of this that I think is really important, right? Is what we do with the shift in messaging that will probably come with Cornell West being a part of the conversation. Because fundamentally, when it comes to making big change like this, like we know that the People's Party isn't gonna like win the next presidency. We 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 know this flat out, right? But what we do also know is there's a real opportunity for people to change the conditions under which people in power make their decisions. That's which right. means that when you have national figures that are you know, pushing particular sets of issues, that is a moment in time when organizers in smaller communities should be focused on connecting people within the community and actually building institutions of power that are meant to change the conditions under which powerful people are making their decisions. And so fundamentally, Cornell West is one person who has his individual voice. And if we want to see significant changes in the world, we need to understand that that is just one small sliver of a broader system of change that needs to happen and come from regular working class folks like in the streets. Well said, all right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable, stick and stay. Hell of a thing, a mother bakes her toddlers in the oven. Let's put it up full mass. One of the saddest stories you ever hear, Lamora Williams, a Georgia mother of three has been accused of killing two of her sons by placing them in an oven and turning the oven on. According to the Atlanta Police Department, the murders, which authorities say happened an hour apart took place on October 17th, but due to the pandemic and concerns about giving or getting a mental health evaluation, she's now finally going to trial. <sighs> on the night in question, the defendant called 911 and expressed fear that her sons were dead and that she would go to jail. In 2018, Williams was indicted on four counts of felony murder, two counts of murder, 
two counts of aggravated assault and two counts of concealing the death of another, one count of making a false statement. The defendant told police that she left all three of her children with a caregiver from noon until 11.30 PM and returned home to find that they had died while the caregiver was gone. That was her initial story according to WAGA. Can you please help me? She reportedly asked the dispatcher. Like, can you please tell me like, I don't wanna get locked up because this is not my fault. I just, I came home from work. That's how she's talking while the toddlers are uh, dead. However, in an arrest warrant obtained by law and crime, the Atlanta Police Department alleges that sometime between midnight on October 12th, 2017 and 11 p.m. The next day, Williams knowingly and intentionally killed two toddlers by placing them in an oven and turning it on. Her third child, three-year-old Jamil Penn Jr. was uninjured, thankfully. According to autopsy reports obtained by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the boys' heads were stuck in a tipped over oven. The medical examiner disagreed with police claims that the children had been burned. The father, Jamil Penn, told the dispatcher, she video called me and I seen it. I really think they are dead, he said. Describing the horrific scene to local news, he said it was a real horror movie. It was like Friday the 13th. I mean, damn. Um, so this is a tough story, obviously. When the when the media said that the child, the, the surviving child is uninjured, that's a lie. Uh, the psychological injury. Uh, is yet to be known, but will be massive. Cause and effect relationship likely at play. A lot of variables potentially did not go discovered and they should have been. Unfortunately, two children are dead and a third one, well, you know, his life will be adversely impacted forever. Any thoughts? Yeah, um, it's kind of hard to put together thoughts for a story like this. It's just really, really heartbreaking. And like fundamentally, I think, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know. This is just a really heartbreaking story. It's like really tragic and I think kind of speaks to like I don't know, maybe we need more mental health care across the United States. We need more like awareness of people in the community and what's going on with each other so that these things can like hopefully be prevented, but like unfortunately like this is just a really tragic situation. Very horrible. A woman this is really wild, let's put it up full mass. Uh, she went inside of a store uh, to shoplift according to the authorities. A car then uh, is set on fire, she, she left the children inside of the vehicle. Uh, Ms. Moore, is her name, went inside of a store where loss prevention personnel watched her shoplift items for about an hour. Ms. Moore was leaving the store when she saw her car engulfed in flames. Dropped the stolen merchandise, ran out of the store, okay? Now, the picture you're looking at, children were inside of that car that's completely on fire. Shoppers witnessed the fire and helped rescue the children, thankfully, from the flames. According to the report, the two children were transported to the Arnold Palmer Children's Hospital and one child suffered first degree burns to her face and ears, according to the report. Moore was interviewed and requested an attorney. She was arrested by the neighboring Orlando Police Department for outstanding warrants in other, in other counties. Unrelated to the incident, the report said, while in custody at the Orange County Jail, Moore was charged with aggravated child neglect and arson. According to the report, it is undetermined what ignited the fire. However, if Moore 
was not being neglectful. It is unlikely the child would have been injured, police said, and I agree with them. Moore also faced four additional charges of petty theft, battery and assault from previous incidents and is being held on a $48,000 bond according to jail records. Moore was arraigned Friday and pleaded not guilty to both charges related to the incident with the children, Seminole County Court records show. Now I want to say this for the record, I don't know the absolute situation of this mother who put her children in danger like this. I'm not harping on the shoplifting, I'm harping on the neglect that could have led to the death of her own children. There's a cause and effect relationship at play with virtually everything. Petty theft typically happens when a person has petty money. Petty money typically happens when an individual does not have gainful employment. There's a cause and effect relationship that has to be discussed. You cannot ignore it. This does not excuse the actions of this mother, but I guarantee you she did not go inside of that store thinking that her children would burn inside of her vehicle. Given the fact she abandoned all of that property she allegedly stole to try to save her children who had already been rescued. It is an unfortunate situation that she will face criminal charges and the judicial system. But don't let this story hit your heart without it hitting your logic. If people have gainful employment, they typically do not engage in this kind of action. All right. Yeah, most definitely. I think you hit the nail on the head because really when we see situations like this, we need to ask ourselves, how could how could society be structured in such a way that this doesn't happen? Because fundamentally, in my personal view, every instance of shoplifting, or at least the very majority of them, society is guilty. Society Mm. is the guilty party, right? Because People don't want to just steal things, right? For the most part, people don't just want to steal things. People just want to survive, right? People don't want to leave their kids in a car. People want to, you know, be able to like uh, go to the grocery store or whatever, do what they need to do. And so fundamentally, if we lived in a society that had like decent childcare support networks, if we had a decent society that like actually cared for people with food and groceries and things like that, this would have never happened. And that should be our goal is how do we make sure things like this never happen? That's right, if we care about the end result, you care about what got you there, all right? Always a pleasure having you on the show. Tell people I think follow you, check out your great work. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitch at Bleak Blonde Ben. You can follow me on Twitter at Benjamin Carollo. You can catch all of my awesome videos on at TYT Breakdown on YouTube. Thank you, my friend, as always. All right, we got more on the other side. The bullpen is next, stick and stay. All right, welcome back. Let me read some of these amazing comments and then we will get into the bullpen. Gentle storm, the system failed the children and the mother. Agreed, Winston Sayer, I've heard it all now. This is terrible, talk about the children inside of the oven. Um, YouTube member, Sticks Dragon Sharon, thank you for that. She says, Dr. Dr. Shad, uh, Sharon, C-H-A-R-O-N is pronounced Sharon, like with the S, unless you're French. Thank you for the update and correction. Uh, Twitch, Jackal a Dragon 1991, mental illness had nothing to do with it. Jax Drax, thank goodness the kids didn't die, talking about uh, the fire outside of the store. Uh, and Blaze and Monkey, you don't just charge someone with arson without any kind of proof. Um, yeah, I agree on the arson thing, that's 
You know, I think that's that wasn't her. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. All right, my dear brothers, back. Christian Daytok, White House correspondent, Washington Examiner, seasoned journalist, and really an extraordinary person. Christian, welcome. Dr. Ritchie, thanks for having me back. It's been a minute. It's been a minute, man. All right, we're glad to have you back. Glad to have you back. Well, some things have changed since the last time you're on the show. Primarily, I want us to talk about the announcement of president from Governor Ron DeSantis, excuse me. And the governor has decided to run against woke policies. I have some ideas as to what that means. However, it has not been clarified by the governor himself. What are your thoughts about running against woke policy? And do you think you know what it means? And is it a winning strategy in a general election? You know, Dr. Ritchie, I'm not really sure anyone can define what quote unquote woke policies are right now. Perhaps not even Governor DeSantis himself. I think it would be smarter if he was focusing on running against Donald Trump, who last time I checked is holding something like a 50 point average lead in all the polling indexes. And, you know, let's be honest, is is the de facto king of the Republican Party. Now, DeSantis is trying to cut his own lane and say, I'm just like Donald Trump when it comes to policy, but I'm willing to fight this fight. I'm not going to cozy up to DC or, you know, New York City elites, whatever you might want to call them, and sort of bow down to this quote unquote woke mob. But this is causing a problem for the Republican donor class because they just think this message, while it might win a primary, is unelectable when it gets to the general election. And a lot of people I'm talking to in Washington right now who don't want to see Republican atop that, or excuse me, don't want to see Trump atop that Republican ticket are very unhappy with how DeSantis has gotten out of the gate. Let's talk about the reality of strategy in the Republican primary. As you know, it is decided by way of what we call a plurality. There is no 50% plus one mandate. There is no you win a state, you win or take all. Literally, you kind of fight. And if you have a lot of people running, well, they split the base and you do a vote total for the most part. Donald Trump really did not impress me with his victory totals. The first time he ran in the Republican primary. But it was impressive in this one sense. The mainstream Republicans all split their base. And you look at the primary that he ran the first time, he didn't win the majority of voters in the state. He didn't need to. It was severely split with the mainstream Republicans. He consolidated a particular base. He actually brought some others to the voting ranks of the Republican primary that had not voted before or had not voted in a long time. That was his strategy for victory. With DeSantis in the race, it presents a different dynamic. There's a different thing because DeSantis is the one candidate who authentically is also supported by those who support Trump. And while Trump's numbers are currently strong, I think DeSantis, while it continues to progress the the election, I think DeSantis will close in on Donald Trump at some point. What say you to that? I think in theory, you're right. The the biggest thing hurting Ron DeSantis right now is the fact that he's not running one on one against Trump. He's taking fire from folks like Nikki Haley, 
Tim Scott, both uh, fine upstanding Republicans from the state of South Carolina where I went to college. Uh, but others down the line, Mike Pence is expected to announce this week as is former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. So if this was a one on one race, I think DeSantis would be, uh, you know, have a higher chance of pulling off some of those diehard MAGA folks uh, who might be, you know, disillusioned with how Trump behaved in the latter part of 2020, uh, you know, let alone everything he had done in office before then. But I think you're right in that as more of these down ballot lesser candidates drop out, you're going to see Trump's lead, um, you know, shrink and rather rapidly. The big problem here, and this is sort of what I alluded to uh, in my in my opening statement, is you know how far does DeSantis's wallet really take him? Trump has this huge war chest. He's had more bit or excuse me, more small donor um, support from any Republican candidate we've seen in modern history. So whether or not he gets the backing of groups like Americans for Prosperity or you know the the National Economic Council or anything, it's it's going to propel him through and have a a lengthy ad buy and ability to you know project his message to those Republican primary voters. We don't know if DeSantis has the staying power for he's going to be someone like Scott Walker, who was the prohibitive favorite heading into the 2016 primary, but then flamed out before any primary votes were even cast just because he couldn't afford to stay on the airwaves like a Jeb Bush or like a Ted Cruz. So money is going to matter big time in this election. But I do think one thing that Trump actually has over DeSantis is his ability to attack DeSantis head on. In Iowa, South Carolina, New Hampshire, all of these early stops that DeSantis has made since announcing, he didn't necessarily attack Trump, you know, at its face. He danced around and attacked sort of, uh, you know, the legal problems that he had. He was happy to attack Joe Biden head on, but everything negative he said about Trump that we had seen in political reports, he usually said behind closed doors to reporters and not up there on the, you know, in front of the podium or on the stage. It, it's something that he's going to need to uh, come to grips with. If you want to wear the crown, you got to kill the king. And because both of these guys seem to be disagreeing on a potential debate schedule, uh, the American public, or at least the Republican primary voters, probably aren't going to see or have an opportunity to watch these two duke it out on stage and decide which one they actually back. Because the messaging, in many ways, is very the same. Well said. And let me add this caveat politics in America in particular has always carried a level of tribalism for it to exist and to be relevant. That tribalism has been enhanced during this era, and particularly inside of the Republican Party. So that makes Donald Trump, even though he holds no official position with the Republican Party, he is in fact their tribal leader. And the Republicans or the MAGA supporters, they have all conditioned their brand and their people to believe that in order to be a man's man or effective, whatever it may be, you gotta be in your face. You have to be willing to fight. That's why DeSantis took the positions he took in the state of Florida. He called out people, he made laws against folk. He decided to fight one of the biggest companies on the planet Earth, all right? He did this because it aligned to the indoctrination and branding of the conservative movement. Conservatives appreciated his stance on these items where he called out 
these individuals. They liked it. Then all of a sudden, he runs for president and he is not capable of doing the same thing with one particular candidate. As a matter of fact, none of them are. Nobody. I mean, Nikki Haley said, I'm not running against Trump, I'm running for the Republican nomination. Come on, now you're running against Trump. Everybody's running against Trump. I feel, dear brother, this is just speculation, that no one is going to get a leg up until that moment happens when they stop being scared and they say something against Donald Trump himself. And don't you find it ironic? He's the candidate that has the most negatives in the Republican Party, but he's also the candidate who gets the most passes so that people who are running against him do not mention those negatives. That in itself is a power that Republican voters already see. If you can't talk against the guy you're running against for the position, good luck having someone believe you will stand up for Republicans or for your red meat base inside of a you know, closed door meeting. And I think that's the message permeating inside of those who are taking these polls and showing clearly Trump is still their guy. What are your thoughts? Well, just you know, expanding on your point, if you look at the Republican electorate right now, I would estimate that roughly 40% of them will vote for Donald Trump no matter what. It doesn't matter if that's you know, high, brother has another conviction brought against him. Mm. It doesn't. It doesn't matter if you know E. Jean Carroll advances another lawsuit. No matter what happens in the legal sphere, those people are voting for Donald Trump. So as soon as you start attacking that forty percent, you know by de facto the the, the mag of faithful, they're going to turn against you. That's why I'm really interested to see what Chris Christie is going to do once he jumps in the race. Because again, some people we're talking to here in D.C. and up in New Jersey suggest that based on Christie's past experience with Trump. Both during the 2016 primary and when he served as sort of an advisor to Trump's reelection effort in 2020, getting him ready for the debates with Joe Biden, he flat out hates the guy. So you could see someone trying to tank Donald Trump no matter what, even if it means he goes down with the ship. That's going to be pure electricity once you see Chris Christie getting up and really, you know, trying to take back his mantle of being the Republican fighter. And you know, so, so to speak, the baddest guy in the room. I can't wait to see that. And I don't think any other candidates really had the stones to try and take Donald Trump on head on. You you may be correct on the Chris Christie angle. Still, I mean, it's not a slam dunk. Like we don't know for sure he would take that position, but out of the individuals who have announced, he's definitely more likely than them to do so. Let me ask you about Mike Pence quickly, because I think Mike Pence has. A lot of problems running for president. Number one, he basically backed everything that Trump did. And so if there's some dissension, he gets all the negatives of Trump. He won't say anything against the guy, so he cannot basically highlight his positives or things that he disagreed with as it relates to Trump because it looks like a weak and feckless VP if he was in that position. And Trump tried to have him assassinated. Okay, if you're not willing to say something about the guy who literally tweeted, he's let us down, he's betrayed us while they're calling for your death to hang you. I don't see what you can say on a debate stage that will make people believe that you are a leader worth considering. So in the context of the problems, I will say that Mike Pence may bring to the table, 
Um, what are his positives that he could uh, express to the Republican Party? Well, the biggest positive to some of these disaffected Republican voters is that he on January 6th did not uh, vote with uh, a number of those House members and a number of those senators to try and overturn the results of the election. That's obviously the biggest distinction. But beyond that, he's not really bringing much to the table. I mean, again, if you look at his 2016 exploratory campaign, no one wanted him in that race in the first place. It was much more crowded in 2017. So perhaps he has a little bit more space to maneuver this time around. But again, to your point, Mike Pence was a steadfast backer of Donald Trump when they were in the White House. It's very hard to differentiate himself from Trump this time around. He's not Tim Scott, who's preaching a very different message, albeit with the same you know, generic conservative policy bona fides. He's not Nikki Haley who's trying to say, hey, let's get a woman in the White House, especially right. a woman of color. And he's right. not Ron DeSantis, who again, even though he's not attacking Trump 100% head on, he's clearly the most willing to take the gloves off and try and present a new lane for Republicans heading into 2024 in the future. So if I'm Mike Pence right now, uh, you're gonna get a ton of flack from the left and the right when you're running for president. It doesn't seem worth it to me. This is clearly political ambition, and it's a problem that a lot of folks have in DC. Just because you want to be powerful and you know one of the top political leaders in the world doesn't mean you're qualified to do it, and doesn't mean you have the best interest of the American people in mind. Yeah, I think the reason Pence is getting in is because he thinks Trump may not actually make it through the Republican primary, given his legal challenges. I think that's his calculation. I believe. Uh, he authentically holds that to be uh, the case. Also, the irony of what you just said did not uh, miss me because you said, "Hey, listen, this is one thing, right? He did he he did certify the elections as he is mandated to do, right? But that very one thing, dear, dear brother, that he did that was actually righteous and within the context of his office that he swore to uphold the Constitution and law." is the one thing that makes him the most unpopular among many conservative voters. Good luck, Mike Pence. Uh, I just, uh, Christian, I appreciate you being on the show. I really, I hope Trump doesn't try to kill Mike Pence again. Uh, tell people how they can follow you and check out your great work. You can read my work on the WashingtonExaminer.com or in our daily weekly magazine. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Talk Radio. Dr. Richie, thanks as always. Thank you, man. I appreciate you. And listen, you are always very fair, very balanced. I'm an opinion guy. You bring the facts. We thank you for your continued leadership in that arena. All right. Remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable.